And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please be seated. As I was reviewing the lectionary readings for this week, I realized that I have been preaching long enough now to have a Sunday come up where I've preached on the readings before. There is a temptation to dust off the last sermon I preached on the epistle reading uh, last time, tweak, repackage, and represent it. However, I believe that this is not the lesson that needs to be heard most urgently this week. Over the past couple of months, I've been considering what it is to be a prophet, what prophetic witness is. Every time I preach, write a reflection on the scripture, or otherwise seek to relate God's word to my fellow Christians, I pray for the gift of prophecy and that I would only write or speak that which the people need to hear. These past few months, we have seen a number of people claiming to be prophets or speaking in a role that is implicitly prophetic, making predictions about various things and especially about American politics. A number of these so-called prophets have so far been revealed to be false. It strikes me that many in the surrounding culture have a rather incomplete sense of what a prophet is. And this leads to a susceptibility to either hear and believe false prophets or utterly discount all prophetic witness. I know for myself that up until a few years ago, my expectation was that the gift of prophecy was so exceedingly rare as to be practically non-existent. If you asked me what a prophet did, I would have said that their job began and ended with predicting the future. If we look at recent examples of popular prophecies, this certainly seems to be what most people expect, from predictions about the date of Christ's return to outcomes of various political processes. The popular awareness of the gift of prophecy is almost solely understood as a sort of major league fortune teller. Given this understanding, it is little wonder to me that the vast majority of Americans either outright dismiss those claiming to prophesy or at the least highly skeptical. So then, what is the work of a prophet? If it is not solely about predicting the future, then what is it? And how can we know that work? All prophecy is apocalyptic, in the sense of the original definition of the word. It reveals hidden things. Specifically, true prophecy reveals the things of God for the encouragement, discipline, and strengthening of the people of God. Sometimes this is dramatic and communicated to the prophet in visions and the audible word of God or angelic messengers. More often, I think, it is far less intrusive typically through insights given about the truth and confirmed after prayer and fasting. In today's Old Testament reading, we hear about Samuel's first interaction with the voice of the Lord. Samuel, a boy dedicated to the service of the Lord in the tabernacle at Shiloh, hears a voice calling his name. 
The text tells us that in that time, the word of the Lord was rare. There was no frequent vision. So naturally, he assumes that it is his master, Eli, the priest calling him. Eli twice tells him that no, he has not called the boy and sends him back to bed. On the third occasion, however, Eli tells Samuel to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. The voice speaks a fourth time. Samuel follows his instruction, and God speaks directly to Samuel, revealing the truth about his plans for Eli's household and his blasphemous sons. They will be destroyed, and their sin will not be atoned for, will not be atoned for forever. In the morning, Eli bids Samuel to tell him what God has said to him. Samuel is reluctant to tell Eli because of the message of disaster for him. This leads us to the quote I opened with, where Samuel tells Eli all that God told him, and Eli's response of resigned acceptance. This account gives us two key points about what it means to be a prophet. The first is that a prophet listens readily to the voice of God. As Samuel says, speak for your servant hears. The one who prophesies does so not of their own understanding or their own desire, but out of reverence and obedience for the Lord God. Prophecy is not a tool for striking awe or using spectacle to win fame for the prophet. It is a means that God uses to communicate with his people in their moment. Sometimes it can be spectacular, but only when it is needed to be so. The second point is that a prophet does not shy away from speaking hard truths, even when the intended recipient of the prophecy will be offended. Most people receiving hard prophecies are not like Eli. They do not hear of calamity and destruction and respond with, let God do what seems good to him. Much more often, those receiving such difficult sayings get their back up and reject both the word and the speaker. Charges of false teaching fly back and forth. People raising a warning about things get chased out of positions where they could affect some change. Churches split. One sign, then, that someone may be a false prophet is that the message they communicate is easy to hear and stokes the crowd for action they already want to take. I do not mean to say that every offensive saying is trustworthy. Goodness knows that many enemies of the cross speak blasphemies wrapped up as what they consider hard truths. <coughs> Neither is it the case that every friendly word should be discarded. The gifts of the Spirit are for the upbuilding of the church, not its tearing down. I only mean that someone telling you something you want to hear is hardly speaking in a revelatory way. It is also the case in Scripture that those who receive encouragements in one area are often admonished and sometimes even rebuked in other areas. As important as understanding what makes someone a prophet is understanding the purpose of prophecy. You might be wondering why I'm talking about prophecy at all during this season after Epiphany. Aren't we focusing on the revelation of Christ to the nations? It is my contention that every prophet visibly participates in and points to the revelation of Jesus Christ at his baptism, just as every martyr visibly participates in and bears witness to Christ in his death on the cross. As I said above, all prophecy is revelatory. And the specific purpose of God 
the specific purpose God has given for the prophets he sends to his people is to reveal Christ in every age. The Old Testament prophets and John the Baptist look for the coming Messiah. In the church, the spirit of prophecy is similarly given for the revelation of Christ. To his faithful people, this revelation is encouragement and exhortation. To the lapsed or unbeliever, it is to shake misplaced faith and make known the powerlessness of the worldly powers. We see this in the gospel lesson today, when Jesus tells Nathanael about seeing him under the fig tree before they ever met. This was enough of a shock for Nathanael that he goes from scoffing at the idea of a prophet, let alone the Messiah, coming from Nazareth, to a full-throated declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Nathanael somewhat demonstrates both sides of the coin I present above. As a Jew and heir of Abraham's promise, and per Jesus' own declaration that Nathanael is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, Nathanael is encouraged by Jesus' prophetic revelation of himself. Since he is one of the first disciples, and functionally everyone at this point in the narrative is an unbeliever, in the strictest sense, he is shaken before the power of God. We don't often hear people predicting the future today, and more often than not, the ones who do get their predictions wrong. Most disastrous among the, this number are those who seal such predictions with their own authority in the church for purposes other than revealing Jesus or encouraging the flock. For most of us, this kind of false prophecy is one we are less susceptible to because we are primed to not believe it in the first place. Whether that is right or wrong is a matter for another sermon. What we are more often confronted with today is a different kind of prophetic witness, a revealing of the truth we should already see in front of us because we live in it. This is the kind of witness that Nathan gives to King David when he says, you are the man, after the episode with Bathsheba and the officially sanctioned murder of Uriah the Hittite. It is the same witness our brothers and sisters of different ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds give to us when they say that there are aspects of the church as expressed in American culture which are uncomfortably friendly with wealth and power. This is an uncomfortable truth which reveals the heart of Jesus as a contrast to an observed behavior or set of behaviors in the institution of the church. As there is opportunity for false prophetic witness when we are talking about claims of miraculous predictions of the future, so there is with this sort of witness. How it usually presents itself is someone invoking their position of authority to say that the warnings about these instances of inappropriate intertwining of church and power are unfounded or themselves built on self-serving ends. The false witness here seeks to soothe our conscience by telling us there really isn't anything wrong, no action to be taken, no challenge to be met. It seeks to paper over an uncomfortable truth with a comforting lie and hide the fullness of Christ behind a preference for avoiding conflict. Please hear me. I am not saying that every charge of injustice you hear must be taken as your personal responsibility to fix. I am not even saying that you must agree that every charge of mistreatment is valid. God gives us the ability to take in facts and use reason to reach conclusions about the proper actions to take to discern what is the fullness of truth. What I am saying is that a reflexive resistance to the identification and rebuke of injustice and mistreatment 
should make you seriously ask whether the person you are listening to is speaking out of the spirit of prophecy or of the spirit of preservation. Over and above your personal views on large soci sociological matters, I am much more concerned with equipping you for right discernment about which voices to listen to. It is especially important in this moment when many in the American expression of the church are either attaching themselves fully to the gospel of national prosperity or to the gospel of human choice to know and discern the voices speaking in union with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that God became man born of the virgin and dwelt among his own creation for a time, preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven and making known the unknowable. It is that Jesus Christ died a shameful death on a cross, a symbol of Roman cruelty at the insistence of his own countrymen and chiefly the religious leaders in Jerusalem. It is that he went willingly to his death and did not resort to legal trickery, force, or other means of preservation to avoid the shame and pain of death. The gospel is that this man Jesus rose from the dead as a first fruit of the promise of salvation, the first and not the last human being to defeat death by the power of God. It is by this power that all other powers are laid powerless, that we have no cause to fear any hurt so that we may bind up the wounds of others, even those who are most despised and neglected. The final thing I want to say about prophecy is that all of us as people of God are freely offered the spiritual gift of prophesying. We may not all be prophets by gifting or vocation, but each time God gives us uncanny speech or insight to reveal some hidden truth to our neighbor, we are participating in this gift. The collect for the day asks that God would grant that his people may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory so that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. One way that we do this is by not shying away from speaking in the Spirit of God when called to do so. It is through Christ's revelation of himself in his baptism that we are able to do this work. If he had not revealed himself but remained hidden, his glory would have been hidden and we would not know it. Even if you never consider yourself a prophet, I pray for and believe that God has at times gifted me to prophesy, yet I still don't consider myself a prophet. You can be assured that each time you encourage your neighbor in the light of Christ and help them see a truth that is hidden from them, you are in some way in receipt of the gift of prophecy. May we ever be reflections of the true light, shining with the radiance of Christ's glory, so that those around us may have the truth of Christ revealed and all hindrances to the gospel removed. Amen.